Masechet Ketubat Chaf Aleph. We begin with a new Mishnah, more about ratification of signatures on a document. We're going to see a very interesting machloket about whether the uh, uh, signers themselves, when they come to ratify their document, are they confirming their signature or are they confirming the contents of the document? And that makes a difference in how many witnesses we'll need. The Mishnah says, Ze omer ketav yadi veze ketav yado shel chaveri. So we have a contract that was written some time ago, and now it's being brought to the court to apply it, and the court has to ratify the signatures. And we are lucky enough to have the two signatories here live in the court. And so they testify about two things. Uh, Witness A says, this is my signature, and I also recognize the signature of my friend B. And B also testifies, this is my signature, and I also recognize the signature of my friend A. I've seen this signature before, I know him for a while, and this is the same one. They are believed. Good. So in this case, we have two witnesses on each of the signatures. Now, However, if each witness only testifies about their own, A says, this is mine, B says, this is mine, in that case, each signature has only one witness testifying that it is indeed a, an authentic signature. And therefore, they're going to have to find someone else who also knows them. So get someone else from the marketplace that says, yo, I, I recognize A. Um, it could be the same person that knows A and B or another person for A, another person for B. All that is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Chachamim omerim enam serichim lesaref imahem acher ela neeman adam lomar ze ketav yadi. Chachamim, however, are more lenient, at least in this case. And they say, no, they don't have to bring anybody else. If you have A testifying about his own signature and B testifying about his own, own, own signature, um, then we believe them. A person is believed to say, this is my own handwriting. Only if you're testifying about someone else's signature, then you need two witnesses about someone else's. So, what is the essence of their debate? When you look into it, you'll find as follows. According to the B, the first opinion in the Mishnah, the witnesses are testifying about their uh, signatures. And therefore, just like two other people, you need two people, you need two to, uh, uh, to uh, verify a signature. So too, even the signatories themselves are testifying not about the content of what's in the contract, but rather about the signature. And therefore, if they're there, that's great. Uh, but you still need one other person. They can talk about each other, A about B and B about A, as well as their own, or it could be someone else. But no matter what, you're going to need two because they're uh, talking about the signature. However, according to Chachamim, uh, the, uh, the, if you have the signatories there themselves, then they are actually testifying about the contents of the document. If it's, for example, 
example, a loan document that says this person knows that person a hundred dinar. So that's what they're testifying. And that's the reason why if the signatories are actually here, we only need them too, them, them themselves. Even if A just says, I signed this, and B says, I signed this, um, what they're saying is that I am testifying that, yes, I signed this, and it says in here that he owes $100. Um, and therefore, we have two witnesses on the contents. I don't need two witnesses on each of the signatures. Okay, good. Now we ask, Pishita, isn't this, uh, the, isn't this uh, explanation obvious? Like, what else might I have thought? Isn't it obvious that, according to the Bihudanasi, you need two for each because they're authenticating the signatures themselves? So here's the reason why we have to say it, Maudetema. I might have thought that Rabbi is actually unsure. He has a doubt about which way it is, about whether the signatories are testifying on their signature or about the contents of the $100 in the contract. And so it, what would be the difference if it's we're uncertain versus certain? Well, in this case, in the case of the Mishnah, the Biudanasi is more stringent. But we're now going to concoct the case where the Biudanasi would be more lenient. So if he's sure about his opinion, then he'll be sure about it for stringency and for leniency. If he's unsure about his opinion, then he'll say, you know what, we have to be stringent in both cases. So here's the case where we're, we're going to test it out. Venafka mina, the practical difference between whether the Budanasi is sure or not sure would be Hechademit Hadminai, who one of the original signatories, the original witnesses, has died. And so we only have one here. If I say, forget that line a second. Uh, so if I say that it's based on certainty. Um, uh, that the Biudanasi is certain that we need uh, signatories on both of, uh, we need uh, witnesses for the signatures themselves, then it would be sufficient to just have one other person. It would work as follows. We have one of the original signatories alive, A. He testifies about his own signature and about that of his friend, B. Good. So now we have one signature, one witness for each signature. If we get one other person who knows both A and B's signatures, then he will testify also. And then we have two witnesses for A, the signatory himself and this other guy, and B also uh, we have A and this other guy. And that would be sufficient. That would be the Kula position if Rabbi Udanasi was sure about it. But if he was unsure and we focus on the content, well, then we would need we would need two other people from the street. Uh, to testify about the other signature. The reason would be because A now is testifying about the content of the uh, 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 his side, right, of the content of the contract that he owes $100. So he's done. Um, now, if he's going to be also a, te uh, a witness to the signature, then you're going to have a problem. Because if so, then we're going to have 
the entire sum, less a quarter, is going to be based on one witness as follows. A testifies about the content. And this is again, now, we, if we think Rabbi Udanasi is unsure, and maybe uh, we have to worry that they're testifying about the content, like Chachamim, this would be the law according to Chachamim, uh, that A is testifying about the content. Good, so he testifies about the content. He's one witness to the content. Now the other witness is dead, so he's not, he's not around to, to be able to testify. So instead, we have to authenticate his testimony by authenticating his signature. So now, how are we going to authenticate a signature? If we have only one other person, we have A and one other person. So A now is doing three quarters of the work. And this is not good because Torah says you can only uphold a legal matter based on two witnesses. And that further means that each witness is equally responsible um, and not three quarters and one quarter. And so that, therefore, if we said it's about the content, it's no good. So, now, if Rabbi Udanasi was unsure, then he would be stringent both ways. In our Mishnah, when both of them are here, we need them to testify about their own and about the others, A about A and B, and B about B and A. And in our case, when one of them died, if the Buddha was not sure, then he would have to be stringent to assume that we're talking about the content, and A could testify about the content, and B would require two other people to be signatories. So that's what I might have thought if I didn't tell you the reason for the Buddha. And therefore, I'm telling you that Rabbi Udanasi thinks that we are testifying only about the signatures, not about the content, and he would uphold that decision both for stringency and also for leniency. Good. And how do we know that Rabbi would say this lenient opinion? Rav gives exactly this case. You had two signatories. One of them died. According to the Rabbanan, we need two other witnesses so that the two, witness, two other witnesses will bear half of the testimony and A, who's still alive, will bear half the testimony. Good. And I've added that the Budanasi is lenient in this case and he says it's okay for A to testify about his own signature and then he'll go and testify about the other guy's signature as well because he's simply testifying about one of each and then you'll have one other person that is also testifying about the bo both signatures and so that's equal uh, sharing and that's fine because the reason it's equal sharing is because A is testifying only about the signature and together with the other guy and not not solely about the content. Oh good. Okay, now we ask according to Rabbanan, what if you don't have two other people? Is there a way to get around that? We have A and we have and B is dead. And we have uh, someone else, one other person that recognizes a B signature. What can we do? Here's what you do. A, instead of using up 
all of his testimony power because he can't use more than 50%. Instead of using it all up on his own signature, what he'll do is he'll write his signature on a piece of uh, earthenware, uh, earthenware, a broken piece of pottery. So he writes his signature in front of the Betin and he hands it to the Betin. So the Betin now will independently verify this, his sign a signature on the document by comparing it with the signature he just made on the earthenware shard. And so now the Betin is independently testifying uh, about that the uh, A signature is correct. Good, so that's done. And now, so we don't need him, we don't need A to testify about his own signature. Instead, he will use his power to testify about B's signature. And then B has one other, test, uh, one other person. And so with just A and one other person, there is a way to... Uh, to get around it, right? After all, according to Rabbanan, also, if a person, if the signatory is not around, then uh, to testify about the content, then you can always uphold it by with two witnesses on A signature. And so we'll use A for B signature, and A's signature, A's content, we're not going to verify directly from A, but rather we're going to verify A's signature with and with his uh, earthenware shard signature. Okay, brilliant. Now, notice when Abaye said you should write on earthenware uh, uh, shard, you sh that's what you should use. But don't take a, a piece of parchment and write your sample signature on that. Because, because maybe someone who's not so upstanding may find an empty page with your signature on it. And they'll take advantage. He could write anything on it that he wants. He, above your signature, he could write, Oh, this guy, A, he owes me $1 million. And that will be usable in a court. Because uh, we have a Mishnah, Baba Batra, that teaches, If someone produces a document that has a person's signature on it, and it says that person owes money, then that is usable and one can collect with that from unsold property. So if you want to if you want to collect from property that's already been sold, then you need uh, two witnesses on the document. That would be like a, you know, that person has a lien on the property, like a bank today has a lien on a mortgage. If I sell my house that has a uh, a mortgage on it. Um, and then don't pay the mortgage. The bank can go to the person I sold it to and say, hey, we had a lien on it. So uh, same thing here. The, uh, bar, the, the lender could collect, if, there are, if there's a document with two signatures, they could collect from even sold property. But if there's no witnesses, okay, they can't uh, sell uh, signatures. If there's no signatures, they can't collect from sold property, but he could still come and take one's property that he that he still has so and that's now therefore it's not a good idea to uh, write it unless you write it on a very small piece of parchment or on the top of the page uh, but if you use uh, earthenware that earthenware is not valid for a document of this kind and therefore just write it on earthenware good teaches us that the law is according to Chachamim that the, that the witnesses uh, uh, come, that the signatory himself is testifying about the content, and therefore, if they're both here, A just testifies about uh, himself and B by about himself, and they don't need anybody else. So we ask, Isn't that obvious? We're always going to go by the majority, and the other opinion was, was it Biudanasi? He's a minority. Why do you have to even tell us this, Shemuel? 
I might have thought that there's a rule that when there's a machloket between the bee and his colleagues, so the rule is that um, that we follow the bee over any of his colleagues individually. That's a good rule. I might have thought that even the bee against multiple of his colleagues, even if he's the minority. So the first one is if let's say there's five different opinions. There are none of them agree with each other, and one of them is it a bee. Yeah, we're going to follow the bee over any other single person. But um, I might have thought that the Biuda Nasi is so great because he's the Nasi. He's the uh, uh, um, uh, the final author of the Mishnah. So maybe he would trump even a majority. Uh, so therefore, Shemuel says, no, even the Biudansi does not. We follow the majority. All right, good. More about this case. Uh, we're going to see an example that uh, um, uh, quoted by the following sages that, whose names are confusing. So we have mnemonic for them, Nach, Nad, Had. Okay, there's nothing related to Nach, Nachman. Uh, but rather, it's talking about the names of the sages we're about to quote. So Nach stands for Rav Chinena Bar Chia, uh, Nad stands for Huna Bar Yehuda, and uh, Chad stands for to be Rav Chia Bar Yehuda. Okay, so here is how it goes. Amale Rav Chinena Bar Chia Rav Yehuda. Some say that Rav Chinena told Rav Yehuda. Amale Rav Yehuna Bar Yehuda le Rav Yehuda. Some say Rav Huna, his son, told it to him. Amale Rav Chia Bar Rav Yehuda Rav Yehuda. And some say no, it was Rav Chia, the son of Rav Yehuda, said told us to Rav Yehuda. Okay, anyway, someone said this to Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda is the one that just quoted Shemuel. And the question is, Umish, Amash, Shemuel, Hachi, did Shemuel really say the halacha follows the majority, the rabbis, uh, that they're, for, they're, they're um, testifying about the content? We know of an actual case where a case came before Shemuel, that's the same Shemuel, and uh, there was a document there that Shemuel dealt with. And on this document was written, now this is not the original document himself that Shemuel was dealing with, but rather a ratification document. When the Betin comes and, and gets a, a, a contract and they check it out and they ratify it, they'll write a letter saying that we looked at this document and here's the witnesses and they said it's valid. That way you don't have to do the whole process again should you ever need it again. You could just bring the kind of a, like a receipt. A ratification document. So here's what it said. Medata Rav Anan Barchiyava said Achatimot Yede Veadechad Deime Umano Rav Hanan Bar Rava. In this ratification document, it said Rav Anan Barchiyah came and he testified about his own signature, and he also testified about about the signature of the other person he was with, and that other person is Rav Hanan Bar Rava. And the opposite also. The other guy, he also came and testified about, testified about his own signature. And also about his colleague who was with him, and that is Rav Anan Barchia. That's the first guy. And therefore, since we have both of their testimonies, we certify, we ratify the document as in the, in the proper way. Now, this is a question because you see here, Shemuel required that A and B both testify about their own signature and about their colleague's signature. Who requires that? 
So why did Shemuel require that? It looks like he follows the B, and this contradicts Rav Yudah, what you just said, because you said that he he says halacha is like Rabbanan. Rabbanan would only require that A testify about himself and B testify about himself. Okay, Amar So the answer of Yudas has said is that document was on behalf of orphans, and therefore Shemuel wanted to go an extra mile just in case this one day will get into the hands of a betin who that's not such a good betin who erroneously thinks that halacha is like Rabbi. And so he wanted to cover all the bases. There might be a betin that's somewhere along the line that thinks that, um, yeah, even if in general halacha follows to be only against a single colleague, but not against a majority. But maybe in this case they'll think. I guess there was some tradition. There's some rumors about that. There's some people that think that, and maybe some betin will mistakenly think that we follow the biyudanasi in this case against the majority. So you know what? I'll write it in an expansive manner. It happens to be true that we had A and B both testifying about themselves and each other. So we have that extra level. So I may as well write it that way to protect the orphans. If Maybe if it wasn't an orphan, then he wouldn't bother doing it because then it's an adult. If it's an adult, then the Betin makes a mistake. The adult could say, hey, Betin, you don't know what you're talking about, and he'll write a letter, and he'll, he'll figure it out. But for orphans, he, wa- he wants to make sure that they have an easy time. So he writes it in a stringent way. All right. Amar Rav Amar Shemuel. Since we quoted Rav in the name of Shemuel, but one halacha, here's his statement about a related halacha. Where it says, You can have a case where a witness and a judge can join together to certify a document. What kind of case would this be? Let's say there was a contract and uh, it went to a court and the court wrote a receipt, a ratification document. Um, and so later on, the, these, the, one of the litigants wants to use this document in court. And then the other party says, I don't believe it. I think the document is forged. And I also think the ratification document is also forged. And so he's, uh, he's denying that this ratification document was really written by the judges. Um, that they in fact uh, signed it. Usually they have to, they, the judges, the three judges have to sign the document. So he's denying not only the original document, but even the ratification document. So now we need to, we need uh, uh, witnesses to come and verify. So if you had the two witnesses on the original contract, so you re-ratify it, that's fine. If you had the judges around and the judges testify, yes, we signed this ratification document, then also that would be fine. I can have one and one. I can have one of the original signatories on the contract, as this is my signature, and I can have one of the judges who says, I signed the ratification document, and we can combine them together. Okay. says, what a fantastic chidush. I love that. What's so great about it? It doesn't even make sense. What the content of the testimony of the witness is not the same as that of the judge, and one of the judges is not the same of the witness. We have one witness that the, that the contract is good, and one witness that the ratification document is good. But those don't match up. They're testifying about 
two completely different things. So it does not match up. So this is not a good halacha. So when Rami Bar Rami was Rabbi Huda Bar brother, and when he came around, uh, he said, uh, "Do not listen to the the to the principles." That Yehuda, my brother, said in the name of Shemuel, this is not correct. In fact, Shemuel did not say such a thing. Um, and because uh, you cannot combine testimony about two different things. All right, we have a replay of the same uh, conversation in a different generation. One time, Rav Nai, the brother of Rabbi Chiyabad Abba, came and he was selling sesame seeds. And he quoted Shemuel saying, I don't know why it's important that he was selling sesame seeds, but that happened to be then. And he says this halacha that Rav Yehuda just quoted. Amemar said, what a beautiful chidush. Uh, Very good, I agree. So Rav said because Rami Barchama is the your mother's father because your grandfather praised it so you're just going to repeat the praise right but it's not true kivan paracha rava rava appear said right what what is what's so great about it you can't combine testimony about two completely different matters and so don't just repeat uh, repetition just because your grandfather said it um, it didn't make sense then and it doesn't make sense now Okay, someone said this, ultimately in the name of uh, either Rav Huna or Rav. Rav Huna was a student of Rav, so probably it goes back to Rav anyway. Yet three judges that come and they want to verify that a document is uh, uh, correct, that the, that the signatures are correct. Two of the judges recognize the signature, but one of the judges does not recognize it. So how, what should they do? Before they sign it, they can't all sign, all three sign to say, yeah, we recognize these uh, these signatures because one of the judges does not recognize. He did not see anything yet. So he can't, he can't sign it just yet. But before they sign it, what happens is two of the judges that do recognize the signatures, they'll go around to the other side of the table and be witnesses. And they will testify in front of that one judge and say, we testify that this is the signature of A and this is the signature of B. And then uh, uh, the one the one judge on the other side will say, okay, I received your testimony. Good. I believe it. And then those two guys will now turn and go back to the and sit down on the other side of the table and now be the judges again. And now all three can test can sign it because the two what two already know it themselves and the one now heard it from the witnesses. Right, so you have to do this before they sign, but after they sign, you they can't go and testify after they sign because that when the at the time when he signed he didn't that one judge did not know he didn't hear the testimony yet and so therefore that signature would be a lie okay me katvinan now we ask according to what we just said it sounds like we write the content 
of the document of verification. First, we write that paragraph, right? A came before me, we saw these signatures and all that, and we just don't sign it yet. But are you even allowed to write the content? That this ratification document of judges, if it's written, if even the body of it is written before the witnesses testify, testify that they uh, saw it, then it's also invalid because it's like a lie. You can't even write the content of it. Even before you sign it, you should not even write the body of it before the thing actually happens. And so here also, he said that about another case, but this would apply here also, that they're writing something that didn't happen, and therefore as they're writing it's a lie, and that would invalidate the document. This is, you're right, we'll change it. What it means is that if you have the same three judges, two of them recognize, one doesn't. So two of them will go to the other side of the table, stand up and testify. This is the doc, this is the, these signatures are correct. Then they'll go sit down, write the document and sign it. But the writing has to be after the testimony is given. Shema mina tilat. We can learn three things from the law that we just said. Shema mina aidna sedayan. One of them is that a witness can also serve as a judge, like it like it has here. The two of them are judges and also witnesses. We can also learn that if you have judges who themselves recognize the signature, uh, so they don't need to hear testimony. They don't have to go and tell themselves that this is a sign the signature. Like, for example, if all three knew, uh, recognized it, then they could just sit down and sign it, and no one has to present anything to them orally. And the third thing we can learn is that uh, if the judges do not recognize the signatures, then the witnesses who do recognize it have to testify in front of every single one of the judges. Either they're all together or you could do it separately, but it's not enough for them to testify in front of two and the third one says, oh, well, if you saw it, then fine. But all three have to hear uh, from the from the witnesses. And you can see that here because you can't just rely on two of the judges. We have to make sure to include the third one Okay, now Matkif Rav Asher. Rav Asher says, not necessarily. These three conclusions are not all necessary. The first one, I agree, because here you had, a you had a witness who became a judge, uh, acts as both roles. We're going to see in a second, we're going to even reject the first one. But now Rav Asher is saying the second one, if all three judges recognize it, then no one would have to testify orally. Is that true? Maybe they do have to. Even if all three, they can't they can't write that we heard testimony when they didn't hear testimony. So even if it means they themselves are going to stand up in front of each other, it's fine, they have to do that. Uh, and here the reason why uh, why they don't all do that is because it's sufficient for them to do it for one person. In other words, not every judge has to hear other people saying uh, testimony in front of them. It's sufficient if only one of the judges hears the testimony and the other two judges know it on their own as long as there was some oral section 
of the of the procedure that's sufficient, even if only one judge heard the oral section. And now what you said that each of the judges have to have to hear the testimony. No, maybe not. Maybe they don't have to. And here, how come only one does? And here, in this case, it's different. Because if they didn't uh, testify in front of the one guy, then there would be no test oral section. So in other words, once you reject the number two, you reject number three. The reason why they had to present to the, for, to the third guy is not because every single judge has to hear testimony. Maybe not. Maybe not every judge has to hear testimony. It's enough if the judge sees that the other judges know. And here the only reason why the two judges testified in front of the one judge is because you need an oral section. And uh, so to fulfill that. All right, so therefore, two and three are not absolutely necessary. Okay. Now, even the first one we have a question on. Is it true that a witness can also be a judge? So, Rabbi Abba was saying this statement that we just said, Edna said, and Rav Safra challenged Rabbi Abba from a Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah. Three ju- usually we ask when we want to sanctify a new moon. We go and tell people, everybody look for the new moon. If two witnesses come, see it, they come in front of the betin. So you have witnesses telling the betin, we saw the moon. But let's say the, witness, no, the witnesses didn't see it. Instead, it's the three judges themselves. They were sitting out, uh, up on the, on the roof uh, waiting for witnesses to come. And they look up at the sky and they themselves saw the new moon. So what are they going to do? Can they be, they're the witnesses. How are they going to be the judges too? So here's what they should do. What they should do is that two of those three people who are the judges, since they are the witnesses, they should recuse themselves of being judges, get two colleagues to be judges in their stead. And so those two that were judges now are witnesses only. And... um, and they will say we saw it, and then the other, the one of the one of their colleagues. You only need two judges. You only only two witnesses. You only need all three. Then the that one of them and two more colleagues that come will listen to it, and they will say and they will declare it. But it's not enough. Once the witnesses say and they're judged to be true, then the betin has to make it official by saying mikudash mikudash. Because uh, one one individual is not enough uh, by by himself. You can't just have three people alone and two two of them become witnesses and one be a judge. You need three people to judge. Good. That's the Mishnah. Now, if a witness can become a judge, why do you have to do all this thing? The three people themselves, they can... As we said before, two of them will be will go to the other side of the table, stand up, be witnesses, while the one judge will ask them questions, and after that, they will go back to the other side of the table and judge on the testimony that they just gave. Uh, right? You would be able to do that. So let them sit in their place, and they themselves say, Mikudash, Mikudash. They saw it. They don't have, why do they have to hear the testimony again. They don't have to hear anybody else saying it. They know it firsthand. Isn't that better? 
Um, so uh, how come here uh, in the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah we do not allow a witness to be a judge? And you just told me that a witness can be a judge. said, I had the same question when I heard this halacha. I asked Rabbi Yisrael Bar Shemuel Bar Marta. Rabbi Yisrael also didn't know he asked Ravuna. Ravuna lechiyah Bar Rav and Ravuna asked someone else. And ultimately, it went all the way back to Rav who answered the question, he said, There's a fundamental difference. When we're sanctifying the moon, that's a Deoraita law. So for a Deoraita law, then we need three judges independent that are not also witnesses because you can't you can't a judge can't be a witness doesn't make sense um the, the whole point is that the witnesses are they true are they lying you need three judges besides them to judge it so for sure that's true that explains Mishnah Rosh Hashanah. Whereas ratifying documents, that whole law is only Midrabanan. And therefore, the rabbis just want to give an extra um, uh, 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 extra uh, uh, certification, extra stringency, so that people don't forge documents, like having a notary today. Um, but this, since that's only Midrabanan, therefore we can also be lenient. And that happens to be the same three people that are judges. Two of them know the signatures, so then we allow them to be both the witnesses and the judges. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.